Well, good morning. This, uh, this sermon's about repentance. And I, I read this story a while back. In uh, January 2013, this, this woman, Sabine Marot, she was a 67-year-old Belgian woman. She was driving to pick up, <clears throat> pick up a friend in Brussels, about 90 miles from her home. But uh, based on the, the faulty directions she got from her GPS, she drove all the way to Croatia, nearly 1,000 miles away. And the journey took the woman across five international borders. She stopped several times for gas. She took naps. She kept pr- uh, pressing on, though, until she got to uh, the capital of uh, Croatia. And uh, after, after a few days, her son got worried and called the police who, who located her uh, following her bank statements. And she told a Belgian reporter, I was distracted, so I kept going. I saw all kinds of signs, first in French, then in German, then in, finally in Croatian. But I continued driving because I was distracted. And when I passed Zagreb, I told myself I should turn around. <laughs> you know, sometimes we ignore the signs and uh, we, we just keep going the wrong way. And we need to turn around. Now, last time we saw... In uh, chapter 9 of Ezra, we've been going through, by the way, the book of Ezra. We're, we're coming to an end this morning, and, and we'll, we're going to proceed on into the, uh, the book of Nehemiah. The Hebrew Bible actually ha- has this as one book. It's Ezra and Nehemiah. But we saw last time in, in chapter 9 that uh, the, the people of Israel had, had fallen into sin. They had disobeyed God's law concerning, concerning intermarrying the, uh, the people from the uh, nations around them. And by doing this, they, they were beginning to assimilate the idolatry, the idolatrous ways, the worship of, of false gods that were pervasive in, in this area. And they were bringing back this this thing, one of the main things that had caused God to come to the end of his patience and, and execute judgment on them and allow them to go into uh, to exile in Babylonia. But in chapter 9, they, they realized their sin. They, they based it on God's word. They, they reviewed. Remember, Ezra was, was a scribe who studied God's word. He, he taught God's word and he did God's word. And God had commanded, actually in several places, uh, not to intermarry with the people around them in the land that he gave them. Well, they confessed their sin, uh, making no excuses. They, they truly acknowledged that uh, they had strayed from, from God, his will, his commandments, and, and they grieved over their sin. So now what? Now what? Well, our text today is Ezra 10. And in this chapter, the people who realize they're going the wrong way, they, they take drastic measures to, to turn around. Let's read from Ezra chapter 10. I'm reading in the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV. Well, Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A, great, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shehaniah, the son of Jahiel, of the sons of Eli, 
or Elam addressed Ezra, we have broken our faith with God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do what had been said. And so they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohan, the son of Eliashib. And, there, and he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the, unfaith, or over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem and all, who, all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days, by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month and the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of this land and from the foreign wives. And then all of the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at the appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jeziah, the son of Tivkah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, the heads of the father's houses, according to their father's houses, each designated by name, and on the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. And now we, we, come, on this, we come upon this uh, list of the, of the uh, men who had taken on foreign women. There are about, I think, 120. I, I have not taken time to count them. But I think about somewhere around 120. And this is out of uh, tens of thousands of uh, Jews who've, who've returned from exile. But he categorizes them. He said there were found some of the sons of priests who had married foreign women. He lists those. Of the Levites, and that's the uh, priestly tribe. He, he lists those of the singers, of the gatekeepers, and then of, of Israel. 
And at the very last verse, all these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even borne children. This is a this is a heartrending passage. This is a difficult passage. We talked last time about godly grief, about grieving for our sin, and uh, you know, true repentance or true true godly grief uh, leads to repentance. And it, it it involves two things. It involves two changes: a change of our heart, an inward change. And then an outward change, resulting in uh, corrective steps, corrective action. Now, this is a word we probably don't hear too often, right? Repentance. Repentance. What does it mean? What is it? Well, there's there's two he- two Hebrew words that are normally translated to repent or, or repentance. Uh, the first one's nakam. And it means to be sorry or to change one's mind. You know, that's that's that inner change, that that grieving. Uh, this word is is used for humans quite frequently. Sometimes it's even used for God. Now, there are places in the Old Testament where it says that that God relents. You know, for example, think of the the Book of Jonah. Remember the uh, the Ninevites. They were. Uh, they they were a, a violent and uh, wicked people, and God sent Jonah to prophesy to them. In uh, Jonah three six through ten, it's, it says the the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, are, that that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The other, the other one, a sub, means to, to turn back, to, to return. So we, we've, got, we've got these two things, this, this inner change and then this, this outer change. Uh, in, in the New Testament, the word, the word that's translated repentance is metanoia, and it uh, it means to change your mind. You know how we how we think is going to determine how we act. In, in Romans twelve, ta- uh, Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, genu- genuine repentance is uh, it's an inner change accompanied by a change in outer outer behavior. You know, we're we're not going to truly turn around if we haven't had a genuine inner transformation from God. So this this is the repentance I'd like to talk about today. You know, genuine repentance. Look in the book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, 12 and 13, we see this. It says, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts, 
and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. You know, last, last week, again, we talked about grieving over sin, and this is where we begin to see the, uh, the beginnings of this, uh, this metanoia, this, this change of mind. When we sin, what are we doing? We're, we're rebelling against God. You know, we, we, turn, we turn our backs on him and, and we go our own way. He, he has a way for us to go, and where are we? We're heading this way. We're rebelling. We cause ourselves to be separated from God, and, and God calls us to turn around, forsake our sin, and, and come back to him. Now, the Lord spoke through uh, the prophet Zechariah, who was contemporary with, with Ezra at this time. He, remember, he was prophesying. He and Haggai, Haggai were, were prophesying during this, this same time. Zechariah 1, 3, and 4 says, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers whom the former prophets cried out. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. Now, what, a, what a picture of, of repentance. Now, very, very beautiful. Now, re, return to me and I will return to you. This is what our, our Lord wants. So repentance, true repentance, genuine repent, uh, repentance is going to involve these two things. First is an inward change. Second is an outward change. Well, here's the inward change. It, revol- it, it involves genuine sorrow. We talked about this last week. Genuine sorrow before God for our sins. You know, ex- experiencing sorrow for our sins is a, a step towards repentance. It's the, the first step. Godly sorrow should lead us to full repentance. You know, we, we saw this godly sorrow in 9. We see it again here in chapter 10. Ezra does what? He, at the beginning, the first verse, he weeps. He falls down before God. He, he makes this public confession. Nothing is being hidden. No excuses are being made. The, the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians talks about this, this sort of grief. He, he talks about godly grief. Actually, he talks about two, two types of grief. He uh, talks about godly grief and, and worldly grief. He says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So a godly grief or godly sorrow is going gonna, is gonna to bring change, inward change. What's wrong with, what, what is worldly sorrow or, or worldly grief? You know, it's opposed to godly grief. It's sorry for getting caught. Yeah, anybody who has kids, they, 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 they've observed this. Yeah, worldly, a worldly sorrow is going to uh, be inward focused and, and protective of, of self. A worldly grief is, is going to uh, make excuses. A worldly grief is going to blame somebody else, right? 
All these things are going to cause focus to be, to be inward, to, to self, rather than outward towards God. Uh, one, of the, one of the key passages here is, is in Psalm 51, where David is experiencing this kind of sorrow. He's praying to God after he, after he committed adultery and, and had uh, Bathsheba's husband murdered. He's, he's illustrating this, this godly grief. Listen to this in verse 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. <clears throat> according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You know, the, uh, the parable that Jesus uh, spoke, the, uh, the parable of the son, prodigal son is, is also a good case in point here. Remember, this, this foolish son took his inheritance early. He, he left his home. He, he squandered his money with a, a wild and, and reckless lifestyle. Things got bad. There was famine in the land. He, he ended up living in poverty. He was working for a, a pig farmer feeding the, the swine. <clears throat> you know, eventually he realized, this isn't working well. My, my way's not good here. He had, he had come to the end of himself, and, and he knew that he needed to return to his father. Beautiful parable. You know, sometimes God will let us go our own way and, and let us suffer the consequences of our, our actions. You know, sometimes we need to come to that point where we realize that, that our way is, is deficient. Our way gets us into all sorts of misery. You know, will this, will this kind of grief cause us to return to our Father? If it's a worldly grief, it won't. You know, what if the son had decided, you know what, I'm not returning. I'll put up with this. Or... You know, what if he decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay where I am and uh, rather than be hungry and miserable, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adapt to this life by stealing from others. You know, there's a million ways he could have gone. But he chose the, the path of repentance, returning to his father. You know, this is, this is a picture of, of godly grief. You know, his, his grief needed to, to help him realize that he had fallen. He needed to return. He needed to admit his wrong, confess it, and, and grieve over it, and, and repent, and that's what he did. He turned around. Here's what he said to himself, Luke fifteen eighteen. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Godly sorrow. No excuses. So, yeah, feeling, feeling bad about our, our sin isn't necessarily repentance. You know, we can, we can bear ourselves up. We can say we're sorry, but what good will it do if we do not return to our, our Father? That's what's necessary, an outward change. 
That's our third point. Repentance involved take, involves taking corrective actions for our sins. So the prodigal son repented. He turned around. He took corrective action by returning. His father, full of mercy, embraced him. Glad to have you home, son. Bring out the fatted calf. We're celebrating. Our God is a merciful father. Thank him. Yeah, return to me and I will return to you. God's willing to receive back his, his wayward children. In his, in his mercy, he's willing and ready to forgive. So last week we saw the grieving that Ezra and the people went through. They had recognized that uh, some of the people were heading back into the old patterns, embracing the the ways of the people around them, this culture of idolatry, which had really resulted in their exile in the first place. And they recognized that. They recognized the, the seriousness of this. That this this was the beginnings of the move back to their old their old patterns by intermarrying the people of the land. And the people people confessed. What did they say? We we have broken faith with God. We've we've incurred guilt on Israel. So what should they do? You know, sometimes we dig a hole that's so deep there's really no good way, no pleasant way to, to get out. And that's what some of these people had done. There, there was no easy remedy to this. <clears throat> Divorce was allowed under the, uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Um, these people lived and operated under the the amount of light that they have, the amount of revelation from God. We have more. Jesus has said that, uh, you know, divorce was was never part of God's plan. Uh, The prophet Malachi, who was also a a contemporary of, of Ezra, said God hates divorce. You know, so we, we have this, this tension here. In any case, the people decided that, that this is what they're going to do. Those who had married foreign women should divorce their wives. And if, if this doesn't rend your heart, uh, there's, there's, there, there's something wrong. Um, you know, in some of the cases, there, there were children involved. Um, they confessed their sin. And they said this, this is a very important statement, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. You know, if they, if they re, and, and they, I think they remembered 1 Kings 8, what God had told Solomon. It talks about how if, if the people repent with all their hearts and with all their soul, God will hear, God will, God will heal let me um, let me insert some some parentheses here in, in this. You know, Ezra 
again, Ezra and the people made a decision based on the light they had. Ezra 10 would not be a good passage for us to uh, uh, give us instruction on on divorce or what we should do if, if we are married to an unbeliever. Paul Paul says if a believer is married to an unbeliever, they should not divorce. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. He said, to, a mar- to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, not I, or I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. They're, they're set apart. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you shall save your wife? So Paul is saying, stay where you're at. Be a good testimony to to the love of God. Maybe that unbelieving spouse will will come to the Lord because of your your witness, your testimony. In any case, Ezra and the people took this this sin seriously. They they took action. Um, This, as as I was really thinking about this, you know, Jesus talked about taking radical action in dealing with our sin. You know, we we all battle this uh, this tendency to sin. You know, those those who are in Christ have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we're still subject to the influence of sin. You know, this this lure of of sin, and uh, James gives us the the anatomy of a sin in his letter, chapter chapter one, fourteen through fifteen. He says each person is tempted when he's lured, enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And, uh, you know, sometimes we want to put blame on others for making us sin. Sometimes we want to blame, blame the devil. But, you know, the fact is uh, the enemy is glad when we do sin, but he doesn't necessarily cause us to do it. You know, James says we're, we're lured and enticed by our own desire, and the result's never good. You know, we, we, we struggle with sin. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, 18 through 20, he talks about the struggle that we have with sin. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, not, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, the sin that dwells within me. And you, you can just see the, the angst of Paul 
and it resolves to what should I do? It resolves to thank God through Jesus Christ. In any case, uh, the, the Christian life is not a passive life. Uh, we, we can't sit still and wait for the Lord to bring us relief from our propensity to sin. You know, Jesus makes it clear that we need to be very proactive. We need to take action. We need to take steps to remove those things that, that cause us to stumble. You know, he he uses hyperbole. He, he, he says that um, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Um, you know, with, with my eyes, I, I, I see the things that I ought not be looking at. You know, in First in John 5, John talks about the, the lust of the eye. Genesis 3, 6, you know, the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. Um, you know, Shakespeare said, the eyes are the window to your soul. You know, we're, we're deeply affected by, by what we see. Jesus said, if your foot causes you offense, cut it off. You know what? My, my feet will take me places that I shouldn't go sometimes. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about being on the right path versus the wrong path. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, nor walk the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on. Turn away from it and, and pass on. You that language of repentance there. Jesus said it would be better to be missing a foot than to enter the heaven without one. It'd be better to enter. It'd be better to lose a foot than to go to hell with it, with that foot, right? How about the hand? You know, with with the hand, I pick up things I shouldn't pick up. It's with my hands that maybe I I, I harm others. You know, Psalm one forty four: Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked; preserve me from violent men. You know, with my hands, I do things that I shouldn't do. You know, Jesus's point was we need to take radical immediate, decisive action and remove those things that cause us to sin. You know, do you have trouble looking at the wrong things on the internet? Maybe it'd be good to get rid of your internet account. You know, for, for many, that I think that would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? But uh, is that drastic? Yeah, but not as drastic as gouging your eyes out. Uh, you know, are you, are you tempted... To get drunk on alcohol, get rid of the source. Get the alcohol out of your house, throw it away. That's less drastic than, than cutting your hands off. Uh, you know, there, there, there are plenty of things that we willingly allow to uh, tempt us, many things that we allow into our lives that we shouldn't, you know. We need to get rid of those things that cause us to succumb to temptation. You know, this, again, this is a difficult passage, you know, we're, we're not told what, what happened to these wives and, and their children. Some commentators said that the reason it took three months to resolve this with the uh, people, 120 people, is that uh, perhaps the wives were given an opportunity to convert and to lay aside the, the false gods and worship the, the true God. We don't know. We're not told. Uh, 
We're not, we're not told. Difficult, difficult thing, but we, we do know that the people took the, ser- the sin seriously. They grieved over it. You know, they, they had both an inner and an outer transformation. And uh, for the first time, people of God truly became monotheistic. I, I read this article a couple months ago, which just made me laugh. There, there was this prominent archaeologist in, in Israel who discovered evidence that God's people worshipped idols before the time of Ezra. And so he was saying, well, they weren't really monotheistic until the time of Ezra. And I would say he's absolutely right. He should read his Bible. He wouldn't have to dig up anything to find that. You know, it's, it's said that after the time of Ezra, Israel became truly a monotheistic nation. Danny goes like that. You know, we, we still have our idols, but... Um, you know, it was this. This was a this was a, a, a very important time. You know, and perhaps God was preparing the people for the the arrival of the Messiah. You know, just a few weeks ago, we we spoke from Galatians where it said, at just the right time, God sent His Son. You know, we need to. Um, we need to keep a short account with God. You know, when, when we really realize the seriousness of our sin, we really need to be people of, of confession and repentance, willing to, to turn around from our own way and go God's way. You know, we, we realize that, sure, we, we sin against people, but all our sin is ultimately sin against God. We need to receive forgiveness from people we've sinned against, but we really need to receive forgiveness from God because that's ultimately who the sin is against. And thankfully, again, God is a God of mercy. He's a God of of great grace. Uh, John, first John says, "If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, he says, return to me. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, you are, you are righteous and, and holy. Uh, you are pure, without sin. Uh, Lord, uh, fill us with, with your spirit, Lord. Uh, our hearts, Lord, it's, it's been said, our, our idol factories. There are so many things in us and around us that, that draw us away from you. And Lord, we, we forsake those things that uh, supplant you in, in our hearts. Uh, you are the ones. You are the one we want to worship, Lord. You are the the one we adore. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your your abundant grace. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.